You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. And we're live. This is The Human Condition. I'm Vince Orlando. I'm Steve. I'm Sean. How's it going, guys? Awesome. How are you? Fantastic, man. Fantastic. <clears throat> loving the uh, loving the changing colors, getting into fall mode. This is I, I love spring. I love fall. They're my two favorite seasons, but fall, this time of fall, is, I, th- I think, hands down my favorite. I love the cider mills. I love the change of colors. It's uh, it's leading into the holidays, but it's not the holidays yet. I don't know. It feels good to me. I like it. I like it. I don't like holidays. I, I love the holidays. I get so I I wait all year for Christmas to come back around. I love that that whole part of the year. It used to be very stressful. I think I'm a different person now, but... But I, I, I dig them, I dig them. Um, so anyway, we're we're going a little, a little bit off, not off subject because we're still going to talk about some very important subjects. But once in a once in a blue moon, a film comes along that strikes a nerve at the level of pop culture. It, it, it's 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 got pop culture appeal. It can hit the masses. But the message, or messages rather, that that are underlying the the plot of the story, are so relevant to current times, and it doesn't happen that often. Before we get talking about the Joker, the Joker is that movie. Before we get talking about the Joker, we want to let you guys know that you can you can chime in with your your take on anything that we're talking about the Joker specifically today, but anything we're talking about at HC Podcast three one three. That's that's our Twitter handle. And then, obviously, if you're tuned into Facebook Live, you can comment there as well. But today, our subject's going to be the Joker. Thank you, Sean, for for pushing me to see it. I, it was a must see for me anyway. But then your take on it really, really spun me in in uh, to motivation to where I just I I popped out, saw a matinee myself, and and I I haven't stopped thinking about it since. I don't push too many movies, you know. Uh... It's interesting. My dad uh, like raised me on movies and stuff, and and all the classics, all the art movies, like all like you know, he wanted to be a, a cinematographer in Hollywood back in the day. So I know a lot about movies, and I don't go to the movie theater very often, like four times a year maybe. Um, <clears throat> when someone had seen this movie uh, at work and was like. You, you need to see this. Like, he's a social worker, and he was like, it's, like, you need to go see it. And I was like. Yeah, I wasn't ready for a, another Joker movie. That's why I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's, it's I'm not. I'm being obstinate about it. It's not a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went and saw it. And uh, I walked out, like, number one. Joaquin's performance is hands down like in the same category as like Jack Nicholson, you know, one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, we, we were talking about like it, would it be close to Robert De Niro uh, in Taxi Driver? Um, the performance was perfect. Uh, the message uh, it it resonated with me a lot. Yeah, um, it's it's going to resonate. Um, with anyone who's ever dealt with depression, uh, dealt with societal bullshit, and 
you know, you you end up rooting for him, you know, like a friend of mine was like, you know, like I was like, what was your take on it? He was like, kill the rich. And I was like, to me, I get that, you know, but th- there was a whole deeper underlying uh, when I walked out of that movie, like it had stirred up a lot of darkness in me that mm-hmm. I had suppressed. And I had, I, I was like, like pretty much fucked up until, cause like the last time, like when I saw the movie, it was our last podcast. And I didn't really get right until like a half hour before we were doing the show. And, um, yeah, it just uh, it it hurt. It hurt. It, you know, that's that's the genius. Uh, and I don't know if it's intended or unintended by Todd Phillips or Joaquin. From what I know of Joaquin, it maybe you know they, they they what he tapped into there. I I don't believe that was unintended. Todd Phillips, it, it was just so perfectly constructed that that it had to be intended, but. What Steve said is is uh, spot on about the Joker, and I believe that's what the the genius of it is: is that they took this iconic character in the age of comic book movies, which is obviously popular, right? They took this this iconic <clears throat> character and they used that as a platform to reach the masses. But then you you leave and you're like, what the? That f-? ain't a comic book movie. No, no, it, it's. But if you think about it, if you really truly think about it, and I do, I do, I do think about these dark characters because I think that goes back to me being an actor, right? So I, I'm always trying to look at what the how, how you tap into that character, and you know, one th- one of the things you learn as an actor is you have to create a backstory. If you want, if you want your character to be real, to have depth. There'd be times where I'd have one scene in a film or a, a supporting character in a play, and I would write a 90 to 100-page bio on this five, six pages of dialogue that I would have so that my character had depth. So when I see these these villains, I'm always curious, like the Riddler. It's real easy to make that a caricature, right? And most people do when it's popcorn fare. But I always wonder, well, what really motivated this this person to behave in such a such an erratic fashion, right? To be so over the top with it, and and the Joker was always one of those. And I think Heath Ledger really kind of spun these villainous characters in in that direction, you know, because they were still going comic book like with Jack Nicholson when he played the Joker. It, it was still really comic book and more caricature than you really didn't get into the depth. But I was all, I'm always curious about what drives a person. To lose their shit in that way. See, you use the word villain. I didn't equate the Joker as a villain. Well, that's a character. That's the caricature. What's that? Anti-hero. Uh, not even that. Like he was the hero in my. Well, see, and that's the other. That's the other commentary on today, right? So. When I got real uncomfortable, so I, I, I've I've had my bouts with mental health. I still struggle with PTSD all the time, and I have to. And for the most part, that condition is marginalized, right? You hear it; it's it's used in common language a lot. P- people are far more familiar with it now than they ever were before. It was a veteran, uh, a veteran uh, mental illness, and and that now they know it's much more, right? But. You've, I personally, and I think a lot of people that have mental conditions, 
which I would say is a lot of us, we feel marginalized, right? It's not, if I have cancer, I can go talk to you about that. And you kind of understand because there's a physical ailment. There's something physical about it. People don't take the mental, the mental ailment as an ailment. It's one of those things where people are real quick to say, well, just get over it. Well, just don't think that way. Right. And, and the way society marginalized him and pushed him to the side. I remember that scene that was real powerful to me when he's going and he's trying to talk about his feelings. I always have dark thoughts. I always have dark thoughts. You're not listening to me. I'm sorry, but the state has shut us down. Like that hit me. I was like, holy shit. Cause that happens. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, um, like I'm, I'm watching it. And there was a time in my life when, like, things were that hard for me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was feeling those feelings, you know, working a shit job. And, like, the kid stole a sign. Yeah. And then he come back and, like, where's the sign? And, like, you know, the boss and all that stuff. And then I remember, you know, when I first got into recovery, you know, I was depressed for a while. Like, you know, my brain was healing. And uh, this doctor put me on a bunch of psych meds and shit. And I remember, like, having to go around, like, you know, they were like, we're not going to give you your medication anymore here. And I remember calling, like, Oakland County Mental Health, like, like you hooked me on this shit. Mm-hmm. And now, like, I got to go fight to stay on it. And, like, because like, there were times where I was like, well, I'm just going to go off it. And I'd have, like, a complete fucking manic episode. Not to mention, I mean, I didn't have much spiritual training at the time, but because they don't give you any, it was just like where you're never catching a break. Like I just never caught a break. I could never catch a break, and the depression got deeper, and it got a lot darker. And uh, then you know, I'm going to look out into the external, and I'm going, you know. to snap eventually, you know, and, and, I, and I was uh, walking around suicidal and, and like, like there were bouts of su- like suicidalness throughout my life. It's just always been part of since I was a kid and I can't really explain it. It just like I can send myself into a depression with my thinking or how someone treats me. And if, and if the life part isn't, Moving forward, like I can, like I could really easily get dark quick and stay dark. And I don't know how to get out. Like I didn't know how to get out of the darkness back then. I wasn't going to Unity. I was doing a bunch of 12 step meetings. But I mean, if you are, if your spiritual game is real low and you're hanging out in 12 step meetings, it's dark there too. It's dark everywhere. And, and like, it, and I never, like I was finally, you know, God threw me someone. That like grabbed me by the hand and was like, dude, like, let me show you something. Like, you are not your thoughts. You need to understand that. Thoughts come and go. Thinking comes and goes. That does not make your character who you are. And I and I didn't understand. And so like it was all a process. And I'm watching this guy on the screen, like, you know, go home. And like, and I remember like the whole scene with the girl, the next door neighbor, right, right. And how like, remember like, you know, I don't want to. If there's any, no spoiler alert, but like, if you haven't seen it, you know, like, 
I don't know what you're going to do, but uh, <laughs> where he had imagined the relationship. Right, right. And, like, there have been times in my life where, like, I won't go that far, but, like, I have imagined stuff. I have built a story into my mind, and I told myself that story long enough in my alcoholism and in my – where I believed it. Well, he, he was – he was – so I, I've been there, too. But there's a difference between somebody who you – know, bipolar is somewhat manufactured, right? We all have mood swings. And then, you know, but when you start getting to the level of manic and schizophrenic, which he obviously was schizophrenic to a certain degree. With an anxiety disorder. Right, right. To, 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 to boot. To, to boot I mean, you know, because there's an accumulation that gets you to that place. So, so he was obviously schizophrenic. So for a person like – that's not where – Society needs to be playing games with their meds because that, that's a person that I'm anti-med for the most part. I just I, – I've tried it. Don't believe in it. I think for a person that has the cognitive ability to sit with a therapist – and a therapist can only do so much, but they can give you tools. And then if you have the cognitive ability to go home and sit with those thoughts and, and work yourself through it, you should not be on meds but or – you should be on meds as a precursor to the therapy, which has to. But a person with schizophrenia, you don't fuck around with their meds because they're not going to snap out of that. Most people are on meds and not getting any therapy. Well, and you know, and that's a, that's a whole other thing. And that, you know, but that's the point I'm saying is like, like so, they go hand in hand. The meds and the they, therapy they go hand to. and go hand in hand. I'm just I was just stuck on all the shit. Like oh, like you know, post acute withdrawal syndrome. You're depressed. Take the shit, and next thing you know, when the shit stops working, they give me another form or another cocktail of like Zyprexa or Xeroquil or fucking you know Depakote. I mean, I was on that shit for the better part of like 14 years. Yeah, that's crazy. And then like a lot of people don't come back from you that. know it was like. Me and my God had come up with a plan like, I'm going to get off this shit and like, I need you to put someone in my path to help me get off that. And I found a Reiki healer who really taught me a lot about spiritual growth and was like, I can't tell you how, but like, you need to listen to your God and follow the instruction that you get. And it took me almost a year to lean off everything. And then, like, you still recover. You're going to recover for years after that shit. Well, and the difference between you and somebody with schizophrenia is that they don't have that ability. What they they need meds. There's there's such a chemical imbalance that's that's been exacerbated over time that they can't listen to somebody say your God. So he's obviously an exaggerated version of the, a good chunk of the American population, right? When it comes to meds, so he's an exaggerated version. And he had been told his entire life, well, just put on a put on a smile, yeah. right? Put on a happy face. That's how you deal with it. You yeah. put on a happy face and you pretend. And he developed it, which I thought was genius, this condition where he laughs when he's upset. Yeah, yeah. That nuanced performance, like I wanted to fist fight Joaquin Phoenix for getting that and being able to put that out there. I'm like, you son of a bitch, just that actor jealousy. But I'm watching it. I'm like, wow, man, that, that was so nuanced. But the thing with... With when they pulled his meds from him, when they pulled his therapy, it was such such a statement on the way that mental health is marginalized. And then to take it further, when he snaps, 
how how can he not snap? Right. But the Russell Brand had an and that's probably the only person I've watched. Um, and that was by accident because I tried to stay away from interviews with people's takes on the movie and whatever, because I knew we were going to do this. So I wanted to come in with my own take. But I watched Russell Brand because I always watch Russell Brand. And uh, and he had his take on it was, well, you have this this marginalized character, right, that feels like they're not being seen. And. He viewed it as when the when he comes into the Joker, when he commits that first murder, he now feels like he's being seen. So in a very dark way, that's a form of self-actualization. This this person has now emerged. Now I'm seen. I've been self-actualized. Is that an antithesis to what we would say the the, the guiding force and principles of the universe are in compassion? And- so the subway scene – you know, you you watch these like what what would you equate them to? Like three stockbrokers, mm-hmm. you know, borderline Trump, Trump's kids. Yeah, yeah, Trump's <laughs> you know kids. I mean? like, you honestly. know, borderline and you know, sexually assaulting a girl. Right, right. And like, you know, him sticking up for the girl, and then those three decide to pick on him. Like, I would have probably acted the same way. I probably would have done the same. Thing. And that's why the movie is so damn good because there, there's so much gray area, right? Like, you, and you probably wouldn't have killed those people, you know. But maybe you would have if you had a gun. <laughs> but maybe, you know. And and that's that's the the commentary that they make is that we're all on the verge of snapping. And if you can justify that that visceral response, which <clears throat> might be walking into a school and shooting it, right? It could be that. We've seen that, it, it, and it's, yeah. it, it seems to be far more widespread than it ever was. You know, someone I, – I read something on uh, Facebook. Someone commented on the movie, and they were like, nothing more than a glamorization of the lone wolf man. And I was like, that doesn't match the movie the way that I saw it. And then, like, you know, I'm – like, I had to I had to follow, like look on the guy's profile, and I'm like, oh, he's from the United Kingdom. <clears throat> of course, like – United Kingdom don't have the same problems we have here. And I just was like, I didn't see that at all. Well, they have the National Health Care Service. You know, they right. have better health care than us. And you're from what I hear. I think you're your inco- the income disparity in that country isn't as wide as it is here. But they have it. They, they, it's there, but it's not. And it's getting to worse. The ex- well, it's getting worse all over the world. And no, it's not. And Europe is nothing like the United States. I mean, there's foods that we put pump into our kids. I try not to anymore in my kids' bodies, but sometimes it's hidden that are ba- just banned in Europe. What's you can't that? even get that garbage. Uh, a lot, a lot of the, Corn the dyes and and they, they, Monsanto for sure. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's not there. Yeah. Like of yeah. course they fucking banned it, but over here it's still legal. So do on the- that, I had a friend that went to Amsterdam and he was severely allergic to corn syrup here. Like anything that had sugar in it, he couldn't eat here. He went to Amsterdam, he could eat anything. Yeah, because the corn syrup that we use is fuel over there. You're not allowed to eat it. Yeah. Is that what you're going on about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's the truth. Like yeah. a lot of what we have in our food is banned over there. So yeah. so it's different. It's different, but you know, <clears throat> they're going through their thing in the UK, but I can understand why somebody would say that. It's How, how many murders are here in the United States, isn't it? Like some more than 10. Yeah, yeah, it's like 10,000, isn't it? Like 10,000 gun deaths a year in Way America. More than that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, more than it's that. Like and, and how many is it in like 
the United Kingdom, I think it's like ten, four, yeah, four <laughs> or five. It's it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same when it comes to gun violence. And I, I don't, I didn't, t- I don't think this was a glamorization at all, at all, but rather a an accurate portrayal of if you ignore people who have mental health problems. I don't think it was a threat, but it was. Look, pay attention, because if somebody's suffering and you don't understand it. Well, this it's kind of like the Holocaust. Like when I took my kids there, I, I just wanted them to see. I didn't want to threaten them and say you should fear for everything because this could happen. It wasn't about that. It's that when human suffering goes unattended, this is the possibility. Is this an extreme version? Yeah, but it's also reality. So that's what I saw. I didn't see it as a glamorization whatsoever. I saw it as a very accurate portrayal of what somebody who suffers see, I from mental I didn't look issues. at it as extreme. Because I could relate, you it's know what I mean. Extreme like extreme in the way that he went about it, the talk show and everything. Yeah, well, the, it was it, it was, was just it was it was a perfect picture. You know, he right. got because like didn't they? Uh, he did his like stand up comedy, and someone was filming it, and like all that, and then they invite him on the show to make fun of him. Yeah, to make fun of him, and I was just like, oh man, like talk about like genius scripting. I was know? just gonna say, like as you guys are painting the picture for me. It literally sounds like you're talking about taxi driver with a clown. It is. I, it really is. It's really done in that Travis vein. Bickle. It, it's it. It's very Travis Bickle like. Yeah. Very. But but his because he was marginalized, right? Yeah. The, the, the mental. And he slowly is goes downhill, right? And he eventually ends up trying to do his thing by assassinating somebody, right? So, the difference is Travis Bickle thinks he's a hero, so he's trying yeah. to engage in heroic acts, and, and yeah, the the moral the, compass is a little different. Um, well, you're not allowed to say that. You said he was your hero. I didn't. The say, Joker is a I, hero. I Remember, say, he's not a villain. He, no, but he was a. Yeah, he, I, I'll still say he's a hero. Okay. In a weird way, he was the protagonist, right? He's the protagonist. The so- society he, can, was the antagonist. Gotcha. You can relate to his what he's fighting against. The, and I, I was talking about earlier the part that when I when I just started to shudder. Because I, I understood all of that. It made absolute sense to me. I've had my struggles, and and I, I think about this anyway. So when these guns shoot at, as a spiritual person, somebody who's trying to really walk the walk, when a school shooting happens or a terrorist attack happens, if somebody's head gets cut off, when these things happen, I really try to dig into what led – rather than pointing the finger and saying how disgusting and – because it is a horrible thing, I try to – what led this person to that? How can I be a light, an antithesis to that darkness? Um, but the thing that when I really, when I, like I literally shuddered when, uh, when they carry him out to the car, to the hood of the car. Yeah. And you see this, this, the society's obviously sick. And you can very easily point at Thomas Wayne, who says they're all clowns. This is what happens in, in Trump politics, right? Where you're, Marja, and in Hillary politics, where you're Marja, deplorables, and where you're pointing fingers at people and making them feel less than, you're going to create an underbelly in society. And eventually that underbelly is going to rise to the top because they just, they're not going to take it anymore. And when they brought him out to the hood of that car and they all surrounded him and he becomes, he, there he is self actually he becomes this Jesus-like character in this sick society. I'm like, so that's how somebody like a Hitler and Trump's nowhere near Hitler, but the sentiment that he preys on is that it's, it's a, it's a dysfunctional sick society 
that's angry, feels marginalized, and they're not going to take it anymore. So when you prey on that sentiment, which he did not intentionally like a Travis Bickle did, when you prey on that sentiment, that's how that type of leadership rises in a society and they support it. And you know well, what? Works. The yeah. fight is valid. <laughs> we are fighting We're against seeing it. The only thing yeah. though – We've like, seen it before. When you When you look at today's society, like Trump represents like the wealthy – a lot of the wealthy folks who are want more money, you know, it's all a business. The presidency was a business move for Trump yeah. and the 1% Trump goes in and like makes cuts, says racist stuff. Um, and then all of a sudden, like America is a melting pot, whether it don't matter. It's a melting pot of all nationalities, mm -hmm. all religions. And so now you've alienated the melting pot. Well, that's going to happen in a 50-50 society, yeah, right? Yeah, right. But, where there's but a then pot. like when you're going to you, piss off 50% of everybody. When but the 1% is the only one reaping any benefits from in divide and conquer, that's yeah. the only that's the only faction that reaps any ben true benefits. So now you have the underbelly, like you speak of, is the majority of the citizens of the country. Not when you divide them, though. That and that's well, what yeah. Trump did. Because if I fan. if I preach racism and and classism and stuff, I'm guess what? You divided the the you, you divided now, because guess what? Now you can't. Steve, rise. Steve's got more than me, right? Steve's got a better car than me, and it's his and, fault and, that and, I don't and, have a better and car. And it's his fault. He's taking my job. Yeah, you know, and fuck him. Yep. I need to get him. So now there is no underbelly that rises because we're too busy we're fighting each other. We're too busy fighting each other. Fighting yes. each other. Divide and conquer. Divide it's and a, conquer. It's yeah. as old as time. Right, right. I mean, it, it, I don't know how many. I don't know how much Trump reads, but he had to have read The Prince by Machiavelli, right? This is this is just old politics, yeah, yeah. This right? Is, this, this is, is one hundred percent The Prince. But that's that. that some was, people was don't know. Some people don't know that The Prince was a satire. They take it seriously. Right. And I think we see that quite often. We do. <laughs> like used it as a handbook. Yeah. Like, no, 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 yeah. no. That's that's not good. Right, right. No, that that's not really what you're supposed to do. Right. Don't you're... eat your children either, by the way. Or do. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and that's the thing. So when this person makes that comment, well, that's how they felt about it. And you can't negate the fact no, that somebody oh, yeah, said yeah. that, That okay, okay, well, I, I got to look at that and say, could it be glamorized? Yeah, there's there might be that kid out there that says... Yeah, that's exactly how I'm feeling. And fuck the world. You know, but they're already feeling that. That's not going to prompt somebody to do it, but they might they might view it in that way. When I made Life Goes On, I uh it's a it's a story about addiction, right? It and it's and it's an exaggerated version. It's not even that exaggerated because my friend died, and that's why the 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 movie ended that way. But you know, there there was there were there was a lot being said by the way that 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 film played out I'm trying to go back to you know I just thought about the the thing that led it to it it wasn't how people wanted it to end you know people wanted they wanted a, a fluffy ending it, but there was so much there was so much gray that that I felt was important to convey. And this was obviously on a much smaller level than what they've done with the Joker. But the entire film lives in that gray area that society lives in. And with, with life goes on, it's easy to look at that 
depending on where you are in your current mental state and say, well, this movie was a glamorization of the drug culture. Because the guy, you know, the, the character was cool. He had the girls, he had this, all these things that, that me personally, I was trying to kill that person off when I wrote that movie. I was trying to kill him off. And I took it that that's what I did essentially was I, I killed – as a writer, I was killing cool events. Now, there's the people who, who still to this day, I'll get people commenting on Life Goes On and how it's one of their favorite movies and, oh, we're fucked up watching Life Goes On. That's not what it's for, man. But who am I to say what it's right. for? What's that? You you always say that quote. It's a Jesus quote, and I should know better. It's there, the there's uh, a few of them. It's the um, I am in this world, but not of this world. Yeah, I'm in it, but I'm not of it. Yeah. So the thing about the Joker is that it brought me back into the world. You know, like it started having me analyze like society again and looking at all this, and it brought up like a bunch of dark matter that I had suppressed. Maybe not suppressed, but maybe I haven't looked about, at, I haven't yeah. looked at at a long time. So when I got out, like, you know, I have to remember that saying. That saying means a lot. It means everything. It means everything. Because I needed I need to remind myself that like I'm a spiritual being having a human experience none like i don't want to say none of it's real but like if i take what's on the news and if i take what's in in the media all the time at face value i will literally spiral into a depression if i look at it and internalize Everything. It's Absolutely. Designed, it's designed, it's designed to do yeah, that. It's, see, and I, I don't know if it's a conspiracy or if it's just the way that it is. And some people found a way to prey on the human condition, right? To, to profit. Right. I, I don't know that it's to I think go it's buy sells. a bottle. Yeah, I don't know that it's malicious. but I, I Maybe it think, didn't start out as malicious because it, it just sells. People sells. like bad shit. They love hearing bad stories. And, and, and people tragedy. found out, well, I can make money off that. Yeah, and I, then we got I CNN, and we, we talk about it for twenty four hours a day. Yeah, and and they didn't think about the health per repercussions about that. Like, well, what will the society think if we bombard them with bad news twenty four hours a day? And I don't care because I got to sell it, sell, sell, sell. Because I, think, I, I I benefit from it. Steve <clears> said we had a comment. Oh yeah, we have a we have a comment on Facebook from Rachel Nicole. It says uh, my mother had schizophrenia, and I really love that you touched on the fact that he just wanted to be seen talking about the Joker. Uh, like it was exhilarating to be seen. My mother was brought up in a wealthy home with a workaholic father that ended up raping her to age 13 and a nutcase of a mother who always talked down to her and turned a blind eye, screaming and yelling at all the kids, threatening suicide. My mother heroin uh, was heroin addicted at 16, psychotropic meds, electroshock therapy, like the whole thing, approved by the grandmother, all this shit until she died at 40. I feel as though her condition was a creation of her environment and carried even further by the choices she made just to relieve the suffering. Thanks for your comment. Yeah, thank you. That's deep. That's but that's exactly so. I'm always that's gonna, who that I'm character's a, a part of. Yeah. So, so I have this God-shaped hole, like we talked about before. You know, a lot of us have it, and I am unsettled normally in around people. I'll have an anxiety disorder of some sorts, right? What happens when I take my first drink or drug? 
I feel like the fucking planets have all aligned. Numbs the like, pain. Like, I, I feel right with the world. I can now talk with people. And the drink and the drug is now my solution. It's my medicine. So what happens is, is after a while, that shit will not work. And if I ever become physically dependent on it, which most of us do, now I'm really fucked. Because now I don't know how to operate without it, and I'm physically dependent, and I'm going to keep using until my and, – and the funny thing is, like, they're all depressants. So what used to make me feel good no longer makes me feel good. It's working against me, and now I'm locked in. And you need more and more And I need more and more until, until you overdose. It, that or someone presents to me some form of spiritual solution, whatever it is, to help me hope. I needed hope. Something that you should already have you normally. Be free. But, yeah. but did, did you know you needed hope? I did not. I, I had no hope. I had it had diminished. Did, were, did you? And I thought I was going to die, you know. You know, I have a few suicide attempts underneath my belt, um, and and one was almost complete. And even after I got out of the hospital and everything, um, I went right back to drinking because I didn't have I I I did not know there was any form of real help. I didn't know where to look. I was of the nature that most alcoholics like real alcoholics like i'm an all around every day every second drinker i thought we just died because that's what had my some half my family tree had some form of alcoholism and many of them did die from alcoholism and so i just thought well you know i'm 23 hopefully this will be over by the time i'm 25 see when it comes to alcoholism when it comes to the choice to to uh, seek refuge that way when it comes to that because i've had my bouts with substance abuse and gabber mate spun addiction in a way that i'd never heard prior to i always knew that i was looking for something right so I, i think there's i think there's still hope um i think there's a faith that's ingrained in even the alcoholic who on the surface feels hopeless, but there's a faith in that there's something on the other side because I think the drive towards mood-altering substances is in a a way an act of empowerment because you can feel different, right? Now, going back to Rachel's comment for the the, uh, schizophrenic, they don't don't have that at their disposal. They live in a state of schizophrenia. And and what I took from the movie is, well – Sometimes people just want to be seen when you engage in substance abuse. You don't have to be seen because you don't give a fuck. Right. You don't. you really don't have to be seen because that will numb all that shit out. That that basic human drive that we have towards connection, because, again, going back to Gabber Mate and even Carl Jung, when you talk about addiction, what is it? Well, I've lost a part of myself and I'm using any means necessary to get back to it. The schizophrenic doesn't have access back to that. Because the chemical imbalance is so strong that they just can't get there. But most of us have all have some form of trauma. Absolutely. That has incurred somewhere along the line. The, the trauma is almost. Trumps everything. Trumps, but it, it almost is a fabric of every single addict alcoholic. 
Oh yeah, without without a doubt, it's usually you know, like and schizophrenia. having been an and, addict yeah. as yeah. well. Uh, you know, I didn't have the coping mechanisms, so I went to pills, yeah. and it solved my issue until I didn't have any pills, yeah. and then I was empty again. Got to look again. Exactly. What's what? What is there now? I can't imagine being in the space of of a schizophrenic or a manic. That when the episode happened, well, you know, PTSD, I've, I've blacked <clears throat> out twice, um, sober, disassociated completely, but I was gone. So I don't know what that felt like. I, I was just, I was there one minute and then I was gone the next. So I don't really know. I, I don't know where that transition lied. You know what I mean? It was just snap. I've journaled. I've journaled while manic before and I still have the journals and it's. Same here. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It does. It, but the thing is. What's fucked up is that what I journaled, I can understand why I was journaling it at the time. But because it's a it, code. Yeah. A lot of it is code. A lot of it is uh, systems within the systems of the brain that were like trying to be decoded at the time. But like I couldn't I can't decode it. And it's. It's a little fucked up, but so, so it doesn't come start, down to a language. When you yeah, start I mean, to get your wit, when you start to get your wits back about it, and this would happen to me every time I would go off the deep end and I would come back. So there'd be a three day period where I'm real in touch with whatever that is, with my higher self. I'm, I, there's the ego's been diminished, and and all I feel is is a connection to something bigger than me. There's no ego to stand on. One day will pass, the next day will pass, and then slowly but surely I'll start to feel the ego coming back into play. Now it's coming back to protect me from all that is bad, perceivably bad out there. And I start to look at the things that I wrote and I start to judge myself. Up, oh, Toss that poem, toss that poem, toss that right. What the fuck was I thinking? And I start judging myself. When in reality, that's where the beauty is. On The last episode I had, I said, I, I, I said, I want to be that guy in those three days. That's who I am in truth. And I want to find a way to live that way. I want to live in that space without having to create the breakdown to get there. So when you come out, there's probably, I'd say there's a lot of beauty in what you wrote. But when our ego comes back, we can't decode it anymore. We've, it's kind of like a psychedelic experience where you go to this place and then you come back and you just know how that felt. But you can't make sense of it. I, I can still look at it. And understand what I was going through at the time. That's important. Um, I can set my ego aside. You know, like like those days were like rough, yeah. like rough days. And like I always thought journaling it out would somehow like you sometimes you just when you manic like that, man, it's like, dude, I just got to write, you know, like like. Vodka straight out the bottle, like you know, like you know, the, like a typewriter, and like I, I mean, there's notebooks that I plowed through in like two days, like 120 pages written. When you were manic, did you feel like <clears throat> this is how it was for me? Like I would write in a in a state, and the reason I was writing in the first place is to capture myself because I felt like I was slipping away, and I needed to grab onto what it was that I was thinking because yeah. it was the right way yeah. to be thinking if I could just hold on to it and become that all the time. So it's like my mind going in a million, two million different directions all at once, but it's like they're all leading one thought to another to another, and they're branching out like spider webs. So I thought that if I wrote it all down, I would be able to follow – Piece it like, back together. Like piece it back together. A lot of times I thought like, you know – 
there was some form of spiritual downloading going on that, you know, like. What else could I, it be? I, I need to, uh, like, I need to break this down. And if I write it out, then I can break it down. Some of it was just thoughts of a manic depressive with a substance abuse disorder. You know, on that, uh, so the original Joker, which I consider to be Jack Nicholson, was like the uh, the gangster, right? And then Heath Ledger was the psychopath. Who is this guy? Which Joker is this? What he's would you the guys real call person. Him? Yeah, he's like he's the human being. He's yeah. With the thing that I I found interesting was is that this Joker didn't have any substance abuse disorder, uh, but he was on meds. He was on meds, and then they took his meds, and, and then, then they took his meds. His but meds. I I don't think I ever saw him drinking in the movie. I can't remember. Well, that's a message right there. That's a um, message right there, isn't it? No, and yeah, well, absolutely. I it, that that was a, there was a big commentary on mental health. I mean, it's. So and that that was one of the the more poignant ones that it's, it's really hard to miss that you know he he was unstable he was on meds and then it culminated to where he wasn't going to be marginalized anymore or got off his but he didn't have a substance abuse problem even even you know when he was trying to track down the origin you know what his mom was saying and you know Bruce Wayne or Thomas Wayne is going to help us and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And that, you know, you look that was his mom schizophrenic as well? Or did you think that she really did have an affair with Thomas Wayne and he really was Thomas Wayne's son, but the wealthy have the means and the power to cover shit up anyway? Are you being fed a bunch of lies? Possibly. You know, that's... I think that was always like my my hardest thing with life was there's always like a conspiracy. Like I'm a conspiracy theorist out of the womb. Like I came out that way. And so like it it I had to learn on like how to shut that down. Because like life's not like that. Are there conspiracies? Sure. Sure. But like Life isn't one big conspiracy. No. And it took a long time to unravel that. And I still see people today, they're they're like thinkers. And I, I'm, I'm like, oh, you know, like, you're a thinker, aren't you? And they'll be like, yeah, how can you tell? I'm like, just by the way you talk. Like, you have figured out every single angle or are trying to figure out every single angle of every situation every second of the day. And they were like, how the, how do you know that? And I'm like, because I can just tell. And I'm like, you're going to want to learn on how to shut that off. Yeah, before it becomes obsessiveness like I've had to deal with. Be- because if you don't learn on how to shut that off, like, it, you're always tired. You're always tired. You don't want to get out of bed. It, it's hard to see joy. It, it, I'm, I'm just stuck. I'm just stuck in my mind. And it's funny – I was listening to this talk by uh, Ram Das the other day, and, I, and I've been going to sleep to some of his talks, and he was like, one of the most important things you learn by meditation is that you are not your thoughts. That's that you the are, most important. You know, but it's hard to teach that because, like, yeah. I identify 
thoughts, in my mind. Thoughts as objects. Yeah, it's really hard to get your head around. That's why you need training to do it. Do you, you know? So I read this book, and it's really advanced on consciousness. It's Rupert Spira essays on the nature of it's the nature of consciousness. Essays on the merging of consciousness and matter, matter and con- I, it's Rupert Spira. Great book, but it's one of those books where I had to. I could only read a chapter max, and then I would have to. Then I would go into contemplation. And then I might have to go back and read it again. But one of the really simple, I don't want to call it a trick, but one of the really simple questions you can ask yourself that will snap you into a meditative mode, and maybe not for long, maybe you're not trained in meditation in that way, but who am I that's aware of my thoughts right now? It's a real simple question to ask yourself. Who am I? Because there's, there's obviously somebody that's observing your thoughts as they happen. And if you ask yourself that, who, who is that? It's me, but who am I that's observing my thoughts right now? As I'm speaking, there's somebody watching me do this. Maybe not physically, they don't see, but they can see my hands and they hear me talking. And then, and then it's questioning, are the things that you're saying, are you in agreement with that? Like this is a constant, this is a constant thing that's happening that supersedes the words that are coming out of my, my mouth, the thoughts that are running through my head. It's something that's above that. It's meta, you know, and that's, that's, once you realize that it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but you can detach from from. It's from more the likely that you will because you have a tool now. You can go that back. Sounds and just a lot like you. Sam Harris waking up, like the same sort of. I wouldn't doubt that, that Sam it. Harris read Rupert Spears' book. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I mean? because it, there's no there's no separation, and it, it's funny that people just. I'm reading a book right now by uh, Sean Carroll. It's called uh, Something Deeply Hitting. And the way he speaks is deeply spiritual to me, yet he would call himself an atheist. And that's okay. You can be an atheist. And he would say that he would say that uh, the, the way that you act does not affect anything in this universe, yet he's a quantum physicist. And his entire book is about quantum mechanics and the way that quant- uh, quantum particles interact with one another how could the way you act not affect everything around you? It has to. But I, I think we get – when you have a certain belief, if you call yourself an atheist, that's a strong belief. That's as strong as saying there's definitely a God. There's no doubt that there's a God in the way that I believe that there's God. An atheist would be the same way. Definitely no God. There's in no the way- such thing as an actual atheist because nobody has any evidence that there isn't one. Well, that doesn't mean there's not an atheist. Just like there's not – there's Christians who would say – if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not getting to heaven. Right. Is there any fact? Is there any factual? Absolutely not. So there's atheists that will say there's absolutely nothing. We're worm food. That's it. How do you know? Well, because of this, this, and this. But do you really know? Can you provide evidence that's important? Well, no, but that's what I believe. So it comes down to a belief. Right. And well, in knowing definitions of words, like I call myself an agnostic because I'm not going to say like I know for a fact there isn't a God. An agnostic, I think, is a lot a lot more common these days. Yeah, I allow for their agnostic. It means could without be possible. Knowledge. Yeah, it could absolutely be possible, but I don't see, you know, the God that's been explained to me since I was like, you know, three or four. I don't see, I don't that, see that Abrahamic God around doing the thing. Well, then it doesn't even make I, sense. I had, to, I had to ditch that one. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't that even make right. sense. That one wanted me dead. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it it, it and, and it always made you feel less than and yeah. guilty and guilt, shame. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a different kind of god that was going on there, but 
you're bad and you should feel bad. Yeah. Well, what yeah. the I fuck is this original you. sin shit? Yeah. I, I'm born, so all of a sudden I'm a sinner. I'm less than, and unless I bow to this thing, I can't go there. I'm like, how do I make my life better here right now? Like, what do I do for that? Right. But that that Rupert Spira book. Um, we just shared that on Facebook as well, so you guys can get a hold of that. Am- if you want amazing to. book. It's an amazing book, and and it speaks of. Um, I don't want to get too much into the book, but read it. If if you're a study on consciousness and the nature of reality, it's uh, from a scientific mind that that speaks speaks in a way that allows for the possibility of a god, but doesn't say that there's an absolute god, not in the conventional sense. It, it allows for you to really look at consciousness as god and say that you know there's two ways to view the world. There's material. There's the materialist that says everything, our consciousness included, sprung forth from a big bang where matter led to consciousness. And then there's the consciousness first. Everything in the universe is conscious interaction at some level or another. Quantum physics would support that. It would absolutely support it. That's why when I read Sean Carroll's book and he he, he says that uh, he speaks in terms of material first and it just doesn't – the way that quantum particles – well, life – the universe is a wave function, right? At its core in quantum mechanics, everything is a wave function. Everything For, is a field. It's a field. Well, the, the wave, right? It, that's what it is. It's this infinite wave. Well, they don't know if it's infinite or confined to whatever we see in the observable universe, but it, it's, it's a wave. How does the wave collapse? Conscious interaction, measurement. Something has to happen that causes the wave function to collapse, that is consciousness. Maybe it's not human consciousness. Maybe that level of consciousness consciousness can't contemplate its existence, but consciousness has to happen in order for all of this to happen. I don't know how we got into all this when we, we were you know talking about the Joker, but that that's why I love the movie because talking about that can lead into these types of conversations. That's why I love it. There needs to be more of them. But, Sean, you were going to say something. We got off on a tangent. I was just going to say... Speaking of chicken, <laughs> you've, you're one individual that you read a lot of books. Like, where do you find the time to read all these books? I don't know. I, I, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by them. You know, and I, I don't get through all of them because I, I can, and it's real quick too. I can watch. So, Sean Carroll, I saw on Joe Rogan. I'm like, that fascinates me. I'm going to go there. And then I'll start to read something and then my mind starts to go. Then I start to formulate my own opinions and then I'll, I'll dig in research someplace over here. But, um, but I'm a quick read too. You know, I'll get into it and then I don't know, somehow my brain pushes out things that don't interest me. You know, I, I, I'm able to read through it and I'm not going to remember that, but I'll take the information that I need. I don't read as much as I, as I'd like to even. You know, yeah. For me, it's also if I have zero understanding or background in something, I have to read it a lot slower. Whereas if you know I were to pick up like a Carl Sagan book or something, I know a lot of it. Yeah, I've yeah, read a lot yeah. of that before, so I have a basis and I can skip over things. Like, okay, I know where he's going with that. That's kind of how the I Sean Carroll book is. I'm looking for these little snippets that uh, that are gonna. I really want to think. I, I want to think, and I, I don't want. I don't get caught up. I don't need to know. My ego wants to know what God is. My higher self could give a shit because it already knows. So it, it doesn't matter. But I'll, I I don't get compulsive with the thing, the information that I take in. Yeah. 
it, it's I love quantum physics for the spiritual implications. Somebody like Sean Carroll, Carroll would say there are no spiritual implications. It's just physics. I don't believe that. That's okay. You know what I mean? And, and You're maybe, talking about the woo-woo? The woo-woo. The yeah. woo-woo. <laughs> the woo-woo. Yeah, and then, you know, Joe Rogan would talk about the woo-woo too. And, and granted, there's a lot of woo-woo out there. Like, no, yes, we are quantum quantum systems, but but the quantum field is not a wishing well. You know what I mean? And they would say that in uh, The Mastermind, too. It's not a fucking wishing well. You can't just want things to happen and think good about yourself, and all of a sudden, life's good. You got to do some shit. You know, and sometimes the quantum field works against that and there's resistance. A lot of That's, times I found that the resistance was like my higher self kind of dipping, like getting me out of the way for something that I really don't want. You know, I, yeah. I always think like, well, I'm not getting this and like I'm manifesting this and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and and like it ain't really happening and like, why the fuck is it not happening? And like, it's like I can every every now and then, if I just settle down, like God be like, I don't, you don't need that, you don't need that going on right now. I'm gonna have to like, that's a flyby, hmm. flying that one by. Sorry, yo, you know, that one won't do you no good right now. It'll only do you harm. And it's like, <clears throat> shit, what am I gonna do now? And it's like back to the drawing board, you know, but. I don't know. It's all metaphysics for me. Like the all the, the metaphysical world is all that I read about. Like I my last book was Joseph Campbell, like a return to bliss or Love something. Love Joseph Campbell. And once he got once halfway through it, it got over my head. You know, it started going into this. It was like oh, a, Joseph Campbell went over your head. No yeah. way. You know, like I, I just you know, I was having a tough time, and I'm like, uh, I'm gonna put this down and like. Pick up fractal time, you know, like twelve dimensional stuff. Oh, that sounds much. Easier. I know because I couldn't handle the psychology of Joseph Campbell, so I would to go look at fractal time. You know, yeah. we got the uh, two minutes, and I, I just want to, uh, you know, this final thing on the Joker. Definitely go see it. Definitely go see it with an open mind. But the takeaway for for me is uh, pay attention to people. There's a there's there's an innate desire to feel connection with other human beings, and when you marginalize people, when you when, because you can't understand, you categorize people, you put them in a box and you make them feel alienated. I'm not saying that somebody's going to – people do snap. That's the reality. Pay attention. Seek to understand. You know what I mean? Just seek to understand. That's what I took away from it. Seek to, seek to understand and the Holocaust doesn't happen. Maybe it does. You know what I mean? But But that's where it starts in our individual – desire or drive to be a light and and what a light does is it illuminates it doesn't cast out in the darkness and you know this guy with schizophrenia was cast into darkness what's that old saying the the only sane reaction to an insane world is insanity yeah <laughs> yeah it's <clears throat> a great episode i just want to make sure that you uh show them the flyer oh yeah yeah um so are we up here gobble gobble give It'll be posted on our page. It's a great event. It's a drive to feed and clothe the homeless. Um, last year we got, what, about 4,000 people. Um, we go to the places where they congregate and we deliver food to them. It's a, it's a great event, but check out our page for updates. We'll be posting. There's a meeting coming up on November 3rd, and we'll, uh, we'll keep you informed on that. Thank you for tuning in. We could have kept this going for another yeah. couple hours probably, but it's a human condition. 